Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right, well, go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 2 as we continue in our, our study of the gospel. Um, and uh, let's pray again. Let's pray specifically for our time in God's Word. Lord, thank you so much for this church and for the opportunity that we get this morning and privilege to read from your Word and hear from your word, what you have to say to us as a church, Lord God. Uh, And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak mightily to us through the power of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would open every heart and every eye and every mind in this room and to all those who will listen to this in whatever uh, medium they listen to it in. And so we pray for this now in your name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be looking this morning at verses 14 through 22, and um, the title of this morning's message is The New Normal. It's a title I was joking around with my wife this morning. She hates that word, the new normal. It's something that we've had to, we've grown accustomed to, right? Meaning, hey, things have changed. Something's happened in our life, or obviously now in our entire world, that is that has caused us to live differently. Something's interfered, something's disrupted the normal uh, flow of things in our life. Uh, And most of the time when we say it, it's probably, at least now, it's in a negative context, right? Especially with COVID is, you know, we've had to change the way that we do things um, from our businesses to even our churches. And I mean, every aspect of our life has been affected in this new normal. But sometimes new normal can be good, right? Like little Zaya coming into Izzy and Jessica's life. That's their new normal. That's a good thing, right? There's those great events in life that happen as well that bring the new normal. And we have to learn as a people to adjust, to adapt to this new way of living because sometimes it's the new normal for a long time or maybe for the duration of our life depending on what it is. But it can be a dramatic change, and it can affect us in many ways. And think of specifically when Jesus, what we'll look at this one, when Jesus came into this world, into the community, the religious community in particular, that he's disrupting. It's a new normal that they're having to get used to. And obviously when Jesus came, it was a much better way than had been in the past. Because Jesus coming into the lives of of all the people that we're going to look at this morning, it was really correcting, uh, uh, correcting a religious order that had gotten off track. And we're going to look at that this morning. In the narrative before us, we're going to read about two new normals in particular. And in these two new normals, they're going to answer two questions for us. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The two questions that Jesus is going to answer in the narrative this morning is, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And secondly, how are the saved to live their lives in the midst of an unbelieving world? Again, who can be saved and how the saved are to live their lives in the midst of an unbelieving world? 
So let's go into the text this morning and, and look at that. We're going to read verses 14 through 22, and then we'll come back and address these questions. Or we'll see how Jesus answers these questions, and then at the end, see how we can respond to, those, to this new normal. So the, uh, Mark writes, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, and the new one from the old, and a worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst into the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skin as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And so in this narrative, as I mentioned, Jesus is addressing uh, two questions that we'll see. And he, he bursts onto the scene and disrupts everybody's normal, hence the title, A New Normal. So let's go back to the very beginning again and answer one of those questions that I asked. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? Mark introduces us to Levi, also known as Matthew, as Jesus comes into his life and, in one sense, gives Levi a new normal, right? Here we see Jesus passing by uh, Levi's workplace, and he calls him to follow him. Levi is called to follow Jesus. So here it says that Levi is a, a tax official. He's in service of the local ruler of Galilee, Herod and Antipas. Now this position as a tax collector, you may or may not know, was detested by many because of their propensity to extort money from their fellow Jews. Um, and so a lot of people didn't like these guys, right? They're taking more money than they really need to. Thus, those who held this position were considered to be the vilest of men. So Levi has a bad reputation from the beginning, uh, especially as a Jewish individual, because a Jewish person, when they entered this profession, commentators say that they were regarded as outcasts from their own society now because they were stealing from their own people. They were disqualified as well as judges or as a witness in a court session. They were even at times excommunicated from their synagogue, their religious community. 
And in the eyes of their community, he was disgraced even to this individual's family. So you get the sense that Levi wasn't liked by very many people outside of maybe his own profession. But yet we see Jesus approaching him, even though society didn't. He, and he calls him Levi to follow him. He says, rise up and follow me. And we see Levi leave his profession, just like we saw in the first chapter about Peter and Andrew and James and John. When Jesus calls them, they leave everything behind, signifying they're totally committed to following the Lord. And so as as a result of Levi dedicating himself to the Lord, we see in verse 15 that he now holds a celebration, a feast, and he invites Jesus and his disciples and some of his maybe co-workers or friends or those who knew him. And in this celebration, we see who he invites. He invites other tax collectors or tax gatherers and sinners, and they were all dining with Jesus. And as you know, I've already said about the tax gatherers, how they're regarded in society, but they are not regarded that way by Jesus, which we'll see in a little in a few moments. And then there's this other class that is mentioned, sinners. This was a class of people, right, in themselves that did not regulate their lives after the religious standards of the Pharisees of that day, right? They they are outside of the religious community. They didn't live like religious people. And so they were just classified as sinners. And their inclusion in this narrative along with Levi, demonstrates to us that God's salvation is available for them. Jesus, again, is answering this Pharise- the Pharisee's question about what he's doing there, and he clarifies this point a little- in a few moments. We'll see in verse 17, right, why Jesus is with them, that Jesus is calling them to himself. And so it answers for us that question, who can be saved? Mark shows us, well, here's Levi, an outcast, even not just by society, but his own synagogue, his own family can consider him an outcast. But Jesus reaches out to him. Jesus sees something in him and calls him to himself and includes him. And then by extension, he's also showing us that other tax gatherers were drawn to Jesus. And sinners, those who were not looked on favorably by society or did not regulate their lives according to religious standards, those too are people that are not outside the reach of God. Those are the people who can be saved. And so we see Matthew holding this, excuse me, Levi, or Matthew as well, who's, who he's also known as, having a celebration, a feast for these people. And so that just is a little glimpse that Mark is letting us know who can be saved. Nobody is beyond the reach of salvation. And so in the following verses in 16 through 20, I want to make another uh, distinction here about answering that question that I made in the beginning. How are the saved to live their lives? Because this is something else that was out of the normal, as we'll see by the Pharisees' question to Jesus in two episodes here. How How are the saved to live their lives? How do we practice our religion? Do we practice it as the Pharisees were practicing it? Do we practice it as the disciples of John? We're practicing it. You'll see they ask questions of Jesus and his disciples, which give us insight into this new way of living out your faith. 
And so let's look at that here in verse 16. As I read before, so there's a celebration going on, and it says, And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, that they began saying to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors or tax gatherers and sinners? So they were saying, Why is he doing this? This is not normal. This is not what a religious teacher, which they viewed Jesus as, would be doing. He would not be associating himself with such people, right? It, it makes us ask our own question, how, questions of ourselves as Christians. How are we to live in society? Are we to isolate ourselves from the sinners of this world? Do we hide from the world like early monastics did, like monks? How do we engage in this world? I think the answers can be found in this episode of the narrative as we go through it. So again, there's going to be two questions posed to Jesus within these verses about how he is living differently from the other religious people. So in regards to the first question, again, we see the scribes and Pharisees, they, they come up to Jesus' disciples and say, why is he eating with them? Again, this is not what he is supposed to do. He's not supposed to be hanging out with you know, this crowd. You know, as a religious person, you're supposed to hang out with only religious people with other righteous people they may be thinking. Right, this is definitely something the Pharisees would not be doing, hence the question that they pose. And, and as we'll see, they, they're missing the point, what Jesus is doing. Because if you look at verse 17, what was Jesus' answer to their question? He says, it's not those who are healthy, who need a physician, but those who are sick. And I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, Jesus was there, not just hanging out, having a good time, partying. You know, we see drinking. He wasn't just drinking. He wasn't hanging out at the bar with these guys just to be there. But it says Jesus was calling them to himself to be his disciples is the what saying what's what's is what is being said here again Jesus wasn't approving of their lifestyles look at he calls them sick he agrees that they are sinners you know some people will use this verse and go hey you know what Jesus went and hung out with everybody right? he was inclusive he didn't judge people well what does Jesus call them he calls them sick and he calls them sinners and he says i'm calling them out of their sin into myself that's something that we need to note. Jesus had a purpose there. Jesus was calling them to, to be righteous. Right? He was there for a purpose. The second question that is posed to Jesus and his disciples is found later on in verse 18, and it's about fasting. Right? John's disciples and the, the disciples of the Pharisees, they ask Jesus, why are your disciples, why aren't they fasting like us. They're not practicing their religion like we are. Right? They're, they're not, you know, being solemn in the way that they live. They're not taking serious the religious laws of the day. You see, fasting is a way to demonstrate repentance and mourning. Fasting in the Old Testament was only required on the Day of Atonement. 
And later on, it was practiced on a few other occasions. But here, if you know the background of this, the religious leaders today were fasting twice a week. They were, they were going above and beyond what was required by the law, by God. And so they were saying, hey, your disciples, they aren't doing what we're doing. They aren't living like us. Why is that? And Jesus answers them in verses 19 through 20 with a parable, as Jesus so often does. He says, well, the bridegroom is with them. The attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? Saying, hey, at a celebration, at a time of celebration, we're not mourning, right? Just like the bridegroom, right? We don't fast when the bridegroom is there. So he says, so as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Obviously, he's speaking of himself, right? They have me with them. Why should they be mourning when I'm with them? He says, there's going to be a time when they will mourn in the future, but right now, I'm with them. There's no reason to be fasting. There's no reason to be mourning, right? And Jesus, in, in one way, is also correcting them. You guys are doing something that's not required of the law. You guys are, you know, have some man-made traditions that you're adhering to. I'm here to introduce you to a new normal. It's a time of celebration. Old things have passed, right? Jesus said, when I'm with you, we celebrate. When I'm gone, then you guys are going to mourn. See, the disciples of John and the Pharisees, they had misunderstood what fasting was for. And so Jesus here is correcting them. You know, this is the way some people look at religion today, isn't it? That religion is supposed to be a solemn, quiet, contemplative, reverent thing. Like you're, you're not supposed to be speaking up too loud or making a lot of noise. You know, you're supposed to live in a, in, a, in a monastery, fast for long periods, just have some solitude. But that's not what it is. I remember when I first became, uh, when I first went to a Protestant church, which is what our church is, Protestant, and I, I would come from a Catholic background. Some of you may have experienced this. Well, we're Catholic, you know, it's, it's a lot more somber and reverent and ceremonial and you come to a Protestant church, you're like, dude, what, why is this guy like raising his hand? What's this guy's problem? You know, oh, they're, they're opening the Bible. We're, we're, they're, they're clapping. They're celebrating. What's going on here? It's, it's a lot different, right? It's like, is this okay to do? Are we okay to like laugh in church? You know, the pastor, unlike me, was very funny that I went to, I went to, to listen to. He's always cracking jokes. He made it exciting. And, you know, we we're reading our Bible. That wasn't my experience the few times that I went to Catholic church, you know, on Easter and Christmas or whenever I went. But it was, it was a lot different. And it's the same way Jesus, the, the Pharisees and the disciples of John say, this is different. The things that Jesus and his disciples are doing is different. They're not like us. They're celebrating a little differently. Jesus is saying, we're not mourning, we're celebrating. We're having a feast. We're inviting people over to hear the gospel message. And that's what Jesus explains that he's doing. This new normal is like the, the Son of Man is here now. There's no reason to mourn anymore. Salvation has come. And, 
And, and I think in verses 21 and 22, this is what Jesus is explaining between this old and this new. This is the new normal. Jesus came, has come and brought salvation to the world. There's, there's no longer a reason to hold on to these practices that John's disciples were holding on to. Remember, we learned in chapter 1 that John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord's saying, I'm here now. That is old. We don't need to do that anymore. But this is the, you know, so to speak, the old cloth. You know, we can't put this new cloth onto old cloth or else it's when it, you know, when it shrinks, it's going to tear it up. You can't put the new with the old. This is a new way, a new normal. Along with the Pharisees as well, he's saying, you guys are practicing something incorrectly. This old way. You have this old belief in religion, which is kind of dead. There's not real faith. It's more ceremonial and pomp and circumstance, and there's no life in it. Jesus is saying this is a new way. Jesus is now extending forgiveness to all types of people, not just the, the righteous people, so to speak. Those people of deserving salvation, for none of us deserve salvation. We are all at one time, quote-unquote, sinners, outcasts from God. We were sick, physically, I mean, not physically sick, but spiritually sick. And Jesus came and healed us. So Jesus is coming, he explains here, as I brought salvation, I'm extending forgiveness to all types of people, hence the example of Levi, tax collectors and sinners. And now is a time for celebration because salvation has come. There's no need, he's telling them at this time, for the, the morning of going through fasting like they did. Jesus is modeling a new normal and telling the religious groups of that day that we don't express salvation this way anymore. We're, we're expressing it a different way. We're celebrating. It's a detour from the way that they were expressing. Again, the kingdom is God is here, he's telling them, and you are missing it. Over and over, as we'll see as we go through the gospel, Jesus is saying, I'm here. You guys are missing it. You're wanting something else. You're thinking it should be something else, and that's not what it is. This is the new normal. And so Levi, the tax gatherers and, and sinners in the, in the text this morning, they're receiving that. They're wanting to be around Jesus. They're seeing this and they're wanting it. And so what does that mean for us today as we close in some application? If we're thinking about this new normal, because even in our own lives, right, this new normal has come to some of us. I pray it's to all of us. When you think about this, let, let's just close with, with three points of application that we can, we can think about. Number one is this. Let's rejoice that the Lord has come to save all types of people. Right? Think of that. Maybe you're thinking of somebody in your life. You know what? I don't think the Lord can reach them. I used to think that about my dad. I'm like, whoa, that's a, that's a big hurdle to tackle, Lord. I don't know if you can do that. Those of you that know my dad, would be like, yeah, I don't. That's a tough guy. <laughs> like he's tougher than God or something. Thankfully, he wasn't. 
But Jesus said, I've come here to save all types of people. There is nobody outside the reach of God. Nobody, that person that you're thinking of right now, God can save them. So what should we do when we rejoice in that the Lord could do? Well, let's pray for them. Let's pray for those who are spiritually sick who need the Lord in our life. Pray for those who are far away from the Lord, right? Those quote-unquote sinners who don't regulate their lives according to the laws of God. Pray for them. We can rejoice. You know what? God can save them. God came and saved a tax collector, one of the most thought, you know, thought to be the vilest people in society at that time, and, and the Lord saved them. So let's, number one, let's rejoice that the Lord came to save all types of people. Number two, rejoice in your own salvation. Right? Jesus here was celebrating salvation, offering salvation to tax collectors, sinners, and then they're not mourning with fasting. They're like, no, we're not doing that now. The bridegroom is here. We're celebrating. Jesus is with you now. You should be rejoicing, celebrating. Let's celebrate that we are saved. We don't have to be, I mentioned this a few times again, you know, boring, monastic, you know, demonstrating piety and stiffness in church, you know. I'm not saying, you know, we have to be, you know, all crazy in church. But, I mean, we should express joy in our life for what God has done. I mean, I know when you guys are singing these songs, they evoke emotion, and you're like, wow, God, God has done so much for me, right? As we just sung, he, he delights in mercy and forgiveness. I'm reminded of a, a, a theologian named R.C. Sproul who's gone with the, to be with the Lord, and he had a term for his denomination's lack of enthusiasm. He was from the Presbyterian Church, and he would call them the frozen chosen, you know, because they're very solemn and pious and stiff in church, you know. And, you know, they didn't, maybe they didn't move too much in their church. And I'm not saying you guys have to go buck wild here in church during worship. I mean, let's take it easy. Some of us, you know, that's not, our, some of us, like, hey, that's not how we express ourselves, and that's not what I'm saying. But in your own life, be joyous. I mean, the Lord has saved you. That's awesome to think about. Don't be just saying, I'm not going to be the frozen chosen, you know. I love that term. We should live joyously, right? We have a great promise of the future with our Lord. We have the great promise that the Lord is with us now, that He will never leave us or forsake us. We're saved from judgment. We have the hope or the assurance of eternal life, and we have a joyous end. I, w- I would encourage you for a homework to read these three passages in, t- in particular about your future. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. That's one of them. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Again, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. These are some verses that tell us about our future. If you're a believer, this is your future, and that is something to get excited about. This isn't all there is for the believer. This world is passing away, and God has so much more in store for us. For those who don't know the Lord, this is it. That's why I think it's the Apostle Paul that says, if this is it, then, then, you know, 
eat, drink, and be merry because this is all you have. This is the, the greatest it's going to get. That might be sad to think about for some of us in our lives. Like, this is it? This is what life is about? This is what I was born for? No, there's so much more that the Lord has in store for His people. And we can rejoice now and live joyously now and know that in the future, right, there's no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, for the old things have passed. It's awesome. Again, you want to know what the future holds? Read those three verses. And if you didn't, weren't able to write those down, you could see me after church and I'll share them with you again. So again, as far as some points of application, rejoice the Lord has come to save all types of people. Rejoice in your own salvation. And thirdly and lastly, live your life to reach others with the message of salvation. Live your life to reach others with this message of salvation. Remember, Jesus was with the tax gatherers and sinners, and it wasn't just to eat and drink. What was he doing there? He was there as the great physician. He was seeking to call them to righteousness, calling sinners to be right with God. Right? He was raising people from death to life, from wrong to right, things that we just sung about. This is what Jesus was doing there, Again, he wasn't just hanging out. And so I say, you know what? When we live our lives and the places we go, we should look for opportunities as believers to reach others with this message of salvation, this salvation that we're joyous about, that we're singing about, that we come to learn about and come to know. We should share that with other people in our lives. I want to conclude this with this last section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 9. So you could turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 22. It's, it's a great example of somebody living their life in every circumstance to reach other people. He's living with purpose, the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Look at what he says. He says this, for though I am, free, I am free from all men, meaning he doesn't owe anybody anything. Look at what he says. I have made myself a slave to all. For what purpose? That I, that I might win the more. So he's, he's becoming a slave to other people. In essence, I'm living my life for them so that they could come to know the Lord. That I can win them over for Christ. And look at what he says in verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I become as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those are who, with, who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. And he says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may, by all means, save some. Here's the man who said, you know what? Whoever I'm with, I try to be like them in such a way that they'll you know, listen to me, that they'll come to know the Lord. It doesn't mean he, he acts like a sinner when he's with sinners. That's not what he's saying, Right? But he's saying, you know, I'm, my goal, my purpose in life, he's saying, is to win people to Christ. So wherever I am, 
I want to live in such a way that I could draw them to Christ. Whether it's those that are Jewish or those who are with that or follow the law, those who don't follow the law. Right? In verse 23, one more verse says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. He's so dedicated to living his life in this world to reach people. Which answers that second question as I started out at the beginning. How do we live in this world? We should live in such a way that we're trying to reach people. No matter where we are, whether at work, in our families, in our communities. Live in such a way that we might draw people to Christ. So I pray that it encourages, this, encourages you this morning. Again, just the three points of application. Rejoice that the Lord came to save all types of people. Rejoice in your own salvation, right? Let's not be the frozen chosen out in the world. And let's live our lives in such a way that we would reach people with this message of salvation that has been given to us. Let's pray. Lord God, you've given us so much. You've given us salvation that cost you so much. And you gave it to us freely to those who would repent and believe on you. And we thank you for that, Lord God, that you've chosen us, that you've called us, that you sought after us when we were spiritually sick, when we were your enemies when we were rebelling against you, when we wanted nothing to do with you, you sought after us. You chased us down and offered us salvation. And by grace, through faith, we decided to follow you. We've accepted your offer. And I pray this morning that all those in here this morning, all those who hear this, that they too, Lord God, by your powerful spirit, would surrender to you, would repent of their sins and turn to you. Lord, they would experience being raised from death to life, from wrong to right. I pray that salvation would come on each person this morning that hears this message. And for those of us, Lord God, who have already experienced this, Lord, that you would help us to rejoice in our salvation. Lord, that we would be shining lights in this dark world of all that you have done and all that you have given and all that is promised to us. Help us to always keep before us your second coming, that day when you call us home, when you will transform this world, when you will remake a new heaven and new earth, and we will stand before you and see you face to face. Where we will be reunited with those who have gone before us. And we'll be given new glorious bodies to live with you for all eternity. Help us to remember that, Lord God. And help us to live in this world in such a way that men and women will be drawn towards you. We pray for your spirit this week to help us do that. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you've given us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.org.
Church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.